We now come to questions to the Prime Minister. I will first call the Prime Minister to answer the engagement question, and then I will then call Ronnie Cohen to ask his supplementary virtually. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know that the whole House will want to join me in sending our very best wishes to Her Majesty the Queen on her 95th birthday. Mr Speaker, last night's verdict in Minneapolis delivered justice for the family and friends of George Floyd, and I know that the thoughts of the whole House remain with them. Mr Speaker, I welcome the decision taken by the six English football teams not to join the European Super League. The announcement was the right result for football fans, for clubs and for communities across the country. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Let's go to Ronnie Cowan. Ronnie. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. May I extend my good wishes to the Queen today in what must be difficult times I hope she finds. She's surrounded by friends and family and she can find it within herself to take some time to celebrate her 95th birthday. I know the Prime Minister is not a supporter of basic income, but given that Hull, Belfast, Norwich, Leeds, Lambeth, Guildford, Swansea and Glasgow along with 24 other councils around the United Kingdom have expressed a desire to run pilot schemes which will enhance all our knowledge of the pros and the cons. Will the Prime Minister consider facilitating any pilot projects in the United Kingdom? And has the UK government considered any research into basic income? And if so, what? Prime Minister. I'm grateful to the uh, Honourable Member for his support for a, a UK-wide proposal. And uh, I, I, I trust he understands the irony of that uh, when you consider, Mr Speaker, that his party, as I understand it, is still hell-bent on calling a, an irresponsible uh, referendum on breaking up uh, the United Kingdom. Dr Luke Evans. Luke. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And as we come out of lockdown and look to the summer, many people are going to be concerned about their body image. And we know that there are 1.25 million people who suffer with eating disorders and 1 million people using steroids, and that number's getting worse. The Women and Equalities Committee two weeks ago released a report on body image, and they concluded that, I quote, doctored photos promoting unachievable body images were having a detrimental impact. So would the Prime Minister consider all options, including labelling digitally altered images, to help deal with the issues raised of body image? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is raising a uh, very important point and uh, I, I think he and the whole House are aware of the pressure that young people in particular uh, can feel a, as a result of, uh, of, of the abducted images and as part of the online advertising, the consultation on the online advertising uh, programme, uh, we will look at what we can do and I know that we will be responding to the Select Committee's report uh, in due course. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in wishing Her Majesty a very happy birthday? The last few weeks have been a time of incredible personal anguish, and we all send Her Majesty and the Royal Family our very best wishes. Can I also join the Prime Minister in his comments about the verdict in the George Floyd case? 
justice in that case. And even as an, as an Arsenal season ticket holder, can I uh, join him in his comments about the European Super League, which would have destroyed football, and we now need to get on with the other changes that are necessary. Uh, and finally, Mr Speaker, can I also send my condolences to the family of Frank Judd, um, who died earlier this week. Frank was a much-loved member of this House and the other place for many decades and highly respected as a Labour minister, a great internationalist and campaigner for peace and human rights, and uh, he will be sadly missed. What does the Prime Minister think is the right thing to do if he receives a text message from a billionaire Conservative supporter asking him to fix tax rules? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, first of all, I echo uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman's remarks about Frank Judd. And uh, can I say to him, uh, in response to his question, uh, that if he's referring to uh, the request from James Dyson, I make absolutely no apology at all, Mr Speaker, for shifting heaven and earth and doing everything I possibly could, I think any uh, Prime Minister would in uh, those circumstances, uh, to secure ventilators uh, for the people of this country and to save lives and to roll out a ventilator procurement uh, which the uh, Labour-controlled uh, Public Accounts Committee themselves uh, said was a benchmark uh, for procurement. Mr Speaker, let's be clear what these texts show. The Prime Minister was lobbied by a wealthy businessman and a close friend for a change in the tax rules. Yeah. Tax rules. The Prime Minister responded, I'll fix it. Oh, yeah. Then, after a discussion with the Chancellor, who everybody seems to be lobbying these days, <laughs> the Prime Minister texted his friend to say, it's fixed. How many other people with the Prime Minister's personal number has he given preferential treatment to? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I, I, I recall the right honourable gentleman uh, at the time uh, saying that we should do everything uh, that we could to uh, get more ventilators and, and indeed uh, he, he congratulated the, the rollout of the ventilator. He said that, he said that well done to everybody involved uh, for the ventilator challenge. And I just remind the House what we were facing in March last year. Mr. Speaker, which was when we had a new virus which was capable uh, of killing people in ways that we didn't understand. The only way to help them uh, in extremis was to intubate them and put them on ventilation. We had 9,000 ventilators in this country, Mr. Speaker. Uh, we secured 22,000 as a result of that ventilator challenge. I think it was entirely the right thing to do to work with all potential, all potential makers of ventilators at that time, Mr. Speaker. And by the way, uh, so does the former leader of the Labour Party, a man to whom I think he should listen, uh, Tony Blair. Mr Speaker, I'm surprised the Prime Minister brings up former leaders, since it's his former leader, his friend, I think, Dave, who's at the heart of uh, much of this. And I acknowledge thousands of businesses stepped up during the pandemic. That was a good thing, and we celebrate that. The difference is they didn't all have the chance to text the Prime Minister ask him to fix the tax situation in exchange for doing that. That's the difference. At the heart of this scandal are people's jobs and wasted taxpayers' money. Take for, example, take, for example, the thousands of jobs at Liberty Steel that are on the line in Hartlepool, in Rotherham and elsewhere, following the collapse of Greensill Capital. The Prime Minister hasn't fixed that. In fact, he's done nothing to help steelworkers. Is it now, quite literally, one rule for those that have got the Prime Minister's phone number 
another for everybody else? Mr Speaker, uh, he calls it a scandal. He voted uh, for the changes uh, that we brought in. Uh, our ventilator, he called our ventilator challenge an outstanding success, and I think he was completely right. Uh, this is a government that gets on and uh, delivers for people uh, in distress and, and delivers for the, on the people's priorities. And yes, uh, yes, of course, uh, I am concerned for the families of steelworkers uh, up, and down the, up and down the country. That's why the business secretary has been meeting with with uh, the unions and with the management of Liberty Steel repeatedly over the last few days. But we believe in British Steel, uh, Mr Speaker. It was under, under the Labour, uh, last Labour government that jobs in steel fell by more than 50 per cent and output fell by more than 50 per cent. We've now got a five million tonne pipeline of British Steel uh, with our massive infrastructure investments and we intend to use our new freedoms under Brexit to make sure that procurement goes to British companies, Mr Speaker. When he says we believe in British Steel, we'll do something. I have to say to the Prime Minister, steel workers waking up this morning will find it deeply offensive to hear the Prime Minister boasting to his friends that he's the first Lord of the Treasury and we can give you the backing we need. He won't give the steel workers the backing that they need. Mr Speaker, this shows once again that favours, privileged access, tax breaks for mates, they're the, now, they're the main currency of this Conservative government. And if that's not the case, Prime Minister, can the Prime Minister tell me if one of the three million self-employed people who've been excluded from government support for over a year and now face bankruptcy, if they text the Prime Minister to ask for a tax break so they can survive, would he change the rules for them too? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, we've given uh, this government, I should say, has uh, supported the self-employed with more than £14 billion uh, throughout the pandemic, and, uh, we, and that's as part of uh, a, a vast package uh, of support for, uh, for jobs and livelihoods across the country. We continue to do everything it takes, and I think that he should take back what he said about the ventilator challenge. Uh, he attacks the ventilator challenge now. Our efforts are our efforts to get more ventilators uh, at a very, very difficult time uh, for this country. In, in the same way, Mr Speaker, by the way, in which he opportunistically attacked uh, the vaccine task force at a critical moment, uh, which, he will, which he will recall. Mr Speaker, we take the tough decisions that are necessary to protect the people of this country and get things done. Mr Speaker, if I had to correct the Prime Minister for everything he gets wrong, I'd be here all day. I take it. I take it that's a no as an answer to the question in relation to the three million. And there we have it. An open door, but for those with the Prime Minister's number, a closed door to the three million. What this shows once again is the extent of the sleaze and cronyism that's at the heart of his Conservative government. Let me try another way, Prime Minister. Let me try another way. If an NHS nurse if an NHS nurse Prime Minister who's been working on the front line during the pandemic had the Prime Minister's phone number, would they get the pay rise they so obviously deserve? Prime Mr Speaker, Minister. I'm proud of what this government has done to support the NHS throughout the pandemic uh, with record investments and uh, with another £92 billion that we put in uh, to support the NHS throughout the pandemic. And what we're doing to help nurses, as he knows, is last year putting in the bursary of £5,000 plus the £3,000 on top to help them with training and the costs of childcare, a 12.8% uh, increase on starting salary uh, just uh, in the last uh, couple of years, Mr Speaker. And uh, above all, this is the government 
that is helping nurses and helping the profession by recruiting more than ever before. And there are, going to, there are already 50,000 more people in the NHS this year than there were last year, Mr Speaker, and 10,600 more nurses. That's what I'd say uh, to many of the nurses that I've talked to in the last uh, few days and weeks, and we will continue to back them to the hilt. Yes, Starmer. If the Prime Minister had been talking to the NHS frontline, he'd know just how insulted they are by his pay cut after everything they've put in in the last year. They didn't get a text from the Prime Minister. They got a kick in the teeth. Mr Speaker, there's a pattern to this government. The Prime Minister is fixing tax breaks for his friends. The Chancellor is pushing the Treasury to help Lex Greensill. The Health Secretary is meeting Greensill for drinks. And David Cameron's texting anybody will reply. <laughs> every day, every day, there are new allegations about this Conservative government. Dodgy PPE deals, tax breaks for their mates. The Health Secretary owns shares in a company delivering NHS services. Sleaze, sleaze, sleaze. And it's all on his watch. With this scandal now firmly centred on him, how on earth does he expect people to believe that he is the person to clean this mess up? Yeah. Yeah. Speaker, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because it, this, I'll tell you why uh, this government is, is doing the right thing at the right time. Because the difference between uh, us and the Labour Party is, is I'm afraid, uh, staringly obvious. And we get on. Uh, with taking the tough decisions uh, to protect the people of this country and to take our country forward, uniting and leveling up. We, we take the tough decisions to procure thousands, tens of thousands of ventilators in record time, which apparently he now opposes. Uh, we, we, put, we put forward tougher sentences uh, for rapists uh, and violent criminals, Mr Speaker, which he then opposes on a three-line whip. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, and we stick up. We take tough decisions to stick up for the fans, to stick up for the fans of our national game. Captain Hindsight snipes continually from the sidelines. This government gets on with delivering on the people's priorities, Mr. Speaker. Philip Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Back in 2019, the government gave the Labour Council in Bradford hundreds of thousands of pounds to carry out a feasibility study for Shipley Eastern Bypass. It was due to report in the autumn of 2019. They put it back to April 2020, and yet a year on from that, there is still no sign of it. Please will the Prime Minister intervene to ensure this vital infrastructure project is delivered, and will he meet with me and our honourable friend, the member for Keithley, to see how we can progress our campaign to break away our constituencies from Bradford Council to set up a truly local unitary authority to deliver for our constituents. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, on the on, on the second point, I uh, I'm sure the relevant uh, minister will be happy to, to meet and to consult him. Uh, but on on his point about the, the Shipley bypass, uh, the matter is currently with Bradford uh, Council, and I suggest that that Labour controlled council, for example, many con Conservative uh, controlled uh, councils, and deliver uh, that essential infrastructure project on time, creating jobs and opportunities for his constituents. Let's go to the leader of the SNP. Ian Blackford. Ian. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition uh, on both the Queen's 95th birthday and the uh, justice that we've now seen in the George Floyd case? Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning's revelations surrounding the Prime Minister's interference in COVID contracts are incredibly serious. Whether it's cash for questions in the 90s 
or text for contracts during this pandemic, people know this is the same old story. This is how the Tories do government. The Prime Minister is at the very heart of this scandal. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister reveal today how many more COVID contracts he personally fixed? And if he has nothing to hide, will he publish all personal exchanges on these contracts before the end of the day? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, of course there's absolutely nothing that, uh, uh, to conceal about this and I'm happy to, uh, to share all the details with the House as indeed I've shared them uh, with, my, uh, with my officials immediately. Uh, Mr. Speaker, and it's thanks to that immediate action uh, that we've been able to roll out, and not just to, to deal with the vaccinator, uh, the, vac the, the ventilator uh, challenge, but also uh, to help the people of the whole uh, United Kingdom uh, to get access uh, in record times uh, to the vaccines on which we all depend. Uh, and I think what the people of this country, and the same goes for for rolling out PPE, Mr. Speaker, we've had to work at incredible speed, and I think the people of this country understand uh, that it is sometimes necessary. Uh, to act decisively to get things done. Let's go back to in Blackford. Ian? If the Prime Minister says there's nothing to see here, publish them. Let us all see them. Let's have that transparency, because, frankly, his excuses just don't stack up. Last March, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor had all the time in the world to fix contracts for a closey club of friends and Tory donors, but didn't have any time to support the millions of self-employed. Those three million people didn't have a David Cameron or a James Dyson to text the Prime Minister for them. They were on their own and they were left behind by this Prime Minister. This Tory text for contract scandal is growing more and more serious with every revelation. The Prime Minister was eager to initiate an inquiry into his predecessor, David Cameron, will be as quick to commit to a public and comprehensive inquiry into himself and his own government. Politics, Prime Minister. Uh, uh, well, uh, Mr Speaker, he says we, we had all the, uh, the time in the world. In fact, as the House will recall, uh, at the end of March last year, the, uh, the pandemic was taking off very fast and we had to act uh, very fast, as I think uh, people up and down this country understand. And uh, I, I thought that uh, his dog uh, just made a more sensible contribution uh, just now uh, than he did. Jones. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Farmers, farmers in Bracken and Radnorshire have worked tirely, tirelessly to give us world-class British food throughout the pandemic. In return, the Welsh Labour and Liberal Democrat government have given them a slap in the face with their nitrate-vulnerable zone policy, which will do nothing for water quality and ignores the water companies dumping thousands of tonnes of sewage into our rivers. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister agree with me that this demonstrates Welsh Labour's absolute contempt for rural areas like mine? Uh, yes, she is entirely right, Mr Speaker, because agriculture is, of course, uh, devolved in, uh, in Wales. And uh, if people want to send a clear signal uh, and uh, they want change in the way uh, farmers are treated in Wales, and I hope they will vote Conservative in the Welsh Assembly elections in just two weeks' time and vote for a party that actually champions agriculture and believes in it. Let's go to Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Sir Geoffrey. Prime Minister, I was proud to put on the uniform of the Crown and to serve with uh, tens of thousands of men and women from our armed forces and our police in protecting the entire community in Northern Ireland from the ravages of terrorism 
during our troubled past. The Prime Minister gave a commitment in his election manifesto to introduce legislation to protect those men and women from vexatious prosecutions. Will the Prime Minister stand by and honour that commitment? Prime Minister. I thank my right honourable, I thank the right honourable gentleman very much for, uh, first of all, for his service. And uh, I, I know that the whole house will agree. And uh, I want to say, I want to put on record, by the way, Mr. Speaker, my thanks to the, uh, the former minister uh, for, uh, for veterans for all the, uh, that he did uh, to help with uh, improving the lot of, of veterans across our country. Uh, and we have protected uh, many veterans with the Overseas Operations Bill. There is more to be done, as he rightly says, in the case of uh, veterans uh, in Northern, of, of the Northern Ireland conflict, and we will be uh, bringing forward further measures in due course. Let's go to Ian Levy. Ian. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Since 2019, Blythe Valley has benefited from significant investment for levelling up, including the Towns Fund, the Future High Streets Fund, and the reinstating of the rail line. We know now that Blythe will be the home of the UK's first gigafactory, developed by British Volt, further demonstrating the commitment to build back better. Can I congratulate my friend on his drive and commitment to help in areas which have been neglected for so long? and ask him to assure the House that he will do all that he can to help those areas realise their full potential. And I would like to offer my right honourable friend an open invitation to visit this fabulous constituency of Blythe Valley, where I'm sure he will receive a very warm welcome. Prime Minister. I, I thank my honourable friend very much, and it was only lately that he and I stood on the, the seafront uh, of Blythe, and we looked out at some of the incredible wind farms and the, just the, the harbages, the prelude of the huge Doggerbank uh, wind farms uh, that are going to be built in the, uh, in the North Sea. Uh, I'm delighted that uh, a gigafactory for batteries is being uh, established in, in Blythe Valley, and uh, thanks to his help and his, uh, and his leadership, uh, we are seeing Blythe Valley and many other parts of the, of the North East at the forefront of the green industrial revolution driving, dr delivering high wage uh, and uh, high skilled jobs across our country. Thank you Mr Speaker. Last week hundreds of GMB gas engineers were sacked yes. for refusing to sign new contracts expecting them to work harder and get paid less. Fire and rehire Abusers by um, rogue employers are spreading through workplaces like a virus. Yeah. The government has called the practice unacceptable and bully boy tactics, but refused to take action to ban it. I'm giving the Prime Minister the chance to show us all where he stands. Will he commit here and now to include proposals to end this shameful and immoral practice of fire and rehire in next month's Queen's speech? Yes or no? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, I, I re repeat what I've said about that practice, and if she'd be kind enough. Uh, to send me uh, particular d details about the case uh, that she mentions, she raises, I will be happy to, uh, happy to, to take it up. Dr. Benscott. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Access to superfast broadband is critical in today's society, but many people living in Runnymede and Weybridge can't access it. And while this question is essential viewing, my constituents may struggle to watch it streaming at home this evening if someone else is catching up on the MasterChef final. Does my right honourable friend share my ambition that everyone in Runnymede and Weybridge should have access to superfast broadband, just as every house should have access to water and electricity? Prime Minister. I thank my honourable friend, and he's entirely right. And that's why 
uh, we've uh, massively accelerated the uh, the rollout of gigabit broadband, superfast broadband, and gigabit broadband. And coverage uh, of, of a reliable gigabit broadband was just nine percent uh, when this government took over. It, it will be sixty percent by uh, the end of this year, and we're driving it up across the whole country, uh, uh, uniting and, and levelling up and unleashing the potential of the entire of the UK. Anna Mike Thank you. Day after day, we see more corruption come to light. Yet day after day, I speak to more desperate constituents who are excluded from this government's support. People who've lost livelihoods, homes, businesses built up over the years and been unable to put food on their table. And yet it seems all they needed was the Prime Minister or Chancellor's phone number. Frankly, I'm ashamed on behalf of this country. So will the Prime Minister and Chancellor now take the calls of my constituents yeah. in Cardiff North and meet with me and them to discuss how they can rebuild their lives after losing so much? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm proud of the rollout of the ventilators, uh, 30,000 that we delivered from scratch. I'm proud of it. Uh, I'm proud of the decisions uh, that we took. I'm proud of what we did, criticised uh, by the Labour Party, uh, to roll out vaccines uh, at record speed. I'm proud of what we did to support the people of this country throughout the pandemic with an overall package of £407 billion to support the people of this country. And we, this country will bounce back all the better and all the stronger because of the strong economy that we ensured that this country had going in to the crisis, which would have been impossible, Mr Speaker, under a Labour government. And that is what she should tell her constituents. Andrew Rosner. Uh, Mr Speaker, I was deeply concerned at the weekend, following reports in the Sunday Express, that the statue of the great United States President Ronald Reagan, which once stood in Grosvenor Square, has been removed and remains out of public sight. I know the Prime Minister will agree with me that President Reagan was a true friend to the United Kingdom, who, alongside Margaret Thatcher, ended the Cold War and supported Britain during the liberation of the Falkland Islands. Now that our American friends have moved to a new embassy in Wandsworth, would the Prime Minister agree with me that President Reagan's statue should be moved to a more prominent location on Parliament Square so that visitors from home and across the globe can honour this remarkable man? Prime Minister. Uh, did you notice, Mr Speaker, how uh, the benches opposite recoiled uh, the idea of the recapture of the Falkland Islands. Uh, when you've just heard an honourable member uh, say that she was ashamed of her country, uh, Mr. Speaker, it, it is no wonder that, that people take that kind of that kind of attitude. I think that he's entirely right in what he says about President uh, Reagan. I think he was a very distinguished uh, president. It's not up to me uh, to install a statue for him. I think that's for the Greater London Authority. I think he has to appeal to the current uh, Mayor of London. Or well, let's hope uh, there's a new one uh, to do uh, justice uh, to the memory of Ronald Reagan. Let's go to Dr Philippa Whitford. Philippa. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Polio, a disease that kills and maims children, has been eliminated in all but one region of the world due to the incredible work of the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. In 2019, the UK International Development Secretary pledged £400 million to the programme, as he said to do otherwise would risk a return to thousands of new polio cases every year. So will the Prime Minister now reassure the House that he will honour that commitment? 
Yes, Mr Speaker, the Global Polio Eradication Initiative uh, has been backed by £1.37 billion in UK aid uh, since 1995. And uh, as, as she rightly says, there are many proud successes of that programme and polio uh, across the planet, uh, very, very largely thanks to uh, the help of the British taxpayer, has been uh, almost eliminated. Let's go to Saki Bhatti. Saki. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm pleased that common sense has prevailed and that all six English clubs have now committed to withdrawing from the European Super League. Does my right honourable friend agree that if we are to protect the beautiful game further, football clubs must put fans at the heart of their decision-making? Prime Minister. Uh, yes, I do, Mr Speaker, and I think that one of the uh, most worrying features about the European Super League proposals is that they would have taken uh, clubs that uh, take their names uh, from uh, great famous uh, British towns uh, and cities, uh, English towns and cities, and, uh, and turned them just into global uh, brands with no relation to the fans, to the communities uh, that gave them life and that uh, give them the most love and support. And that was, in my view, totally wrong, to say nothing of the, of the lack of competition. And uh, it's entirely right that uh, my honourable friend, the member for Chatham and Aylesville, uh, will do a root and branch uh, investigation uh, into uh, the governance of football and into what we can do to promote the role of fans in that governance. Abraham. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that opinion polls continue to show a majority in favour of Scottish independence. Does he agree that one factor is the fact we've been lumbered with a Prime Minister who thinks that a pound spent in Croydon is of more value to the country than a pound spent in Strathclyde. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I think what the, I think what the people of Scotland uh, need is uh, a, a, a government and administration in Scotland uh, that spends uh, the taxpayers' money in Scotland better and more wisely, because the results, I'm afraid, of the Scottish Nationalist Party are dismal. Uh, they're failing on education, uh, they're failing on crime, uh, they're failing uh, on their taxation policies, Mr Speaker, and no wonder all they can talk about is another irresponsible uh, referendum and breaking up this country. Griffith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Recycling is one way in which we can all individually tackle the climate crisis. Uh, will he join me in congratulating West Sussex County Council on recycling 53% of their household waste, a level that's almost double that of neighbouring Brighton Council? My honourable friend draws attention to a very valuable and important point, which is across the country, Mr. Speaker, these Conservative councils uh, that keep your council tax low, uh, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, and deliver better services, uh, such as uh, such as recycling. And uh, we and uh, and he's absolutely right uh, to laud uh, the efforts of uh, the Conservative-led council in uh, in West Sussex, Mr. Speaker. Let's go to Carl Turner. Carl. In a recent Conservative Party political broadcast, the Home Secretary claimed that only Conservative police and crime commissioners are responsible for increasing police officer numbers. Yet Humberside's police and crime commissioner, Keith Hunter, has put well over 500 additional officers on our streets since 2016, the largest proportionate increase in the country, and was doing so well before the government pledged to reverse their own cuts. So will the Prime Minister take this opportunity to do the decent thing, correct the record and congratulate Keith Hunter from taking Humberside Police 
from the worst performing force to one of the best in his time as police and crime commissioner. Prime Minister. Uh, well, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I don't wish to be uh, to, to sound, um, uh, you know, like a, a stickler for a, uh, for accuracy here, Mr. Speaker. But since uh, since becoming Humberside's PCC, uh, which is my normal position, Mr. Speaker, as you as you know, uh, since becoming Humberside's PCC in 2016, the force has recruited 434 officers. Uh, of these, 129 have been recruited as part of the government's uh, 20,000 drive. And Mr. Hunter himself praised. Uh, the government's uh, police recruitment strategy, saying the government's had tar target had lifted officers' numbers in Humberside above 2,000. So uh, I think it'd be fair to say uh, that uh, Mr Hunter's efforts, uh, uh, however laudable uh, they may be, would have been impossible without the determination of this government to recruit more police officers and put them out on the street. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When uh, my right honourable friend visited the West Midlands earlier this week to meet with our brilliant Mayor Andy Street, was he aware that the Mayor has increased by sevenfold the investment in transport and we now have 108 new shiny carriages for the cross-city line? What advice does my right honourable friend have for my constituents in the royal town of Sutton Coalfield on May the 6th? Balls on the penalty spot. Come on, Black. Mr. Speaker, not only is he uh, rolling out uh, 50 uh, new stations, Mr. Speaker, but 150 miles more of track, uh, linking up uh, communities across uh, the West Midlands, uh, delivering job opportunities, delivering growth, delivering hope uh, for the West Midlands. And that's why I think uh, the people of the West Midlands should vote for another term for Mayor Andy Street. Let's bring in the goalkeeper, John Speller. <laughs> I, sh I shall decline that invitation as a West Midlands voter. But the Prime, Minister, the Prime Minister earlier said he would use new freedoms to ensure that they buy British steel. And over the last year, the difficulties with PPE provision and vaccine production has demonstrated very clearly the risk of neglecting British productive production capacity, let alone the impact on the prosperity and levelling up agendas. So, Prime Minister... Will you now instruct government ministers, civil servants and other public bodies that when purchasing goods and services, they must buy British first? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, of course, Mr Speaker, and look at what we're achieving. Because since the PPE crisis began, since the pandemic began, uh, we've turned things round. Uh, so in, uh, we've procured uh, 32 billion items of PPE, and 85% of it uh, can now be made in this country, which is completely impossible. Uh, before the pandemic began. Look at what's happening on, on, on vaccines, where we've got the Valneva factory in, uh, in Scotland. We've got Novavax in Teesside, uh, which is going to be absolutely indispensable uh, for our future success. And uh, those, uh, those investments uh, will not only help us to protect our country against pandemics for the future, they will help us to drive jobs and prosperity for the long term across the whole of the UK. Order. 